God, thank you for uh, the morning where we can gather on a beautiful day and the breeze is nice. And, uh, and we open your word, God. We come to hear from you. We don't come to hear from men. Lord, we don't need my voice preaching today. But God, we just pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would make clear your gospel to us today. In your name, amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, for those of you who have not been here previously, this might be your first time. My name is Cole. Uh, I am not the normal preaching pastor around here, and, uh, and you can take the word normal in whatever fashion you want. So, uh, but as far as uh, that goes, Josh, he is, uh, he's on vacation the next, uh, this week and next, and, uh, and we'll see him back here after that. Uh, pastor Andy will be on next week, so you've got to, you know, we start with the bottom and work our way up to the best. So, um, so anyway, but thank you for being here today. Uh, as we look at Psalm 82, um, I just, I, w- I want to draw your attention to the psalm, because if you were listening to that reading of the scripture, which by the way, listening to a sermon with an Irish accent would be great. In fact, so great, the tech team asked me to do it. Um, I can't do an Irish accent. I'm sorry, guys. So you're just going to have to put up with my, uh, my American accent. But here we go. So we open up the book of Psalms to 82. It's yet another psalm of Asaph, who is the uh, worship leader in Israel at the time. And I'm not sure in what circumstance he was the worship leader, but he was a worship leader. And he starts out the passage. And as we listened through, you might have heard the word judge and judgment a few times in there and justice. And how many of you guys, I want to start out with a question. How many of you guys like to be judged? Okay. Everybody's like, no, I don't like to be judged. Who wants to be judged, right? I don't want to be judged. Don't judge me. Don't judge lest you be judged, right? So we, we kind of have this idea that judgment is bad. And I'm hoping today we can flip a switch on our perspective of judgment. And I would offer to you today something that might, you might have never thought of, and that is judgment is good. And some of you are looking at me like, he's crazy. No wonder he's third string, okay? So, judgment is good. So, to, to, since I can see the discomfort in your faces, we're going to practice saying that together. We're going to start getting used to this, okay? So, go ahead, say it with me. Judgment is good, okay? Now, what I want you to do next is I want you to look at the neighbor closest to you and go ahead and say, I'm going to be judged. Okay, go ahead and say that. Okay, now it got really uncomfortable. Yeah, see, everyone's like, oh, man. Okay, go ahead and look at your neighbor. This will make you less uncomfortable. Say to your neighbor, you're going to be judged. You're going to be judged. Okay, there we go. So we're talking about judgment today. And we're going to talk about the gospel today because judgment and the gospel are not separate ideas. They're not separate ideas. We love the gospel. We hate judgment. Yet somehow we should love what makes the gospel the gospel. And I want to present that to you today in God's word. So what Asaph does is he starts out and he gives us a word picture. Now, have you ever seen a picture of something that is just incredible? It's amazing. And then when you see it in person, you're like, the picture didn't do it justice, right? You thought it was good on the surface, but when you saw it in person, you're like, that picture isn't even close. I had two experiences like this in my life. One was as a six-year-old boy, my parents, my dad, he had a, a Ford F-150 regular cab pickup, 
And back in the day when you could stick four kids in the back of that pickup and drive to Canada, he did that, okay? And so we drove to Canada in the back. It had a topper, people. We weren't going to just fall out, but he was nice. He put a mattress back there. But we still rode from Iowa to Canada and back in the back of a Ford pickup truck, okay? So how many, all the parents are like, your parents are terrible. They are the worst people on earth. Yes, they are. And I hope they hear this sermon audio so they can know how dangerous they were. And it's amazing we lived through childhood, okay? But we went to Niagara Falls when I was six years old. And when I went to Niagara Falls as a six-year-old, I had seen a picture. My parents were like, we're going to go to Niagara Falls. I'm like, why would we do that? Well, check out this picture. Isn't it cool? And I'm like, yeah, it's a cool picture, but why are we doing that? And then we get to Niagara Falls. And as a six-year-old, you're looking up at Niagara Falls, and it's incredible, isn't it? Like, how many of you ever been to Niagara Falls? Yeah, a few of you. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. The picture didn't do it justice, did it? When I was 21 years old, I was a missionary intern in Peru, which is the country that my wife and I are going to to serve as missionaries. And I had an opportunity in Cusco to go to the ancient ruins of the Incas at Machu Picchu, the the grounds. And if you guys have ever seen this, this is one of the seven wonders of the world, okay? And I had seen pictures and I was like, cool, it's a mountain. It's got little stair steps in it and stuff. Let me tell you something, those stair steps are not little. They're massive. They're massive. And standing over over the ruins, there, there's a trail up near the top of one side of the mountain that kind of overlooks the ruins, and then there's this mountain up behind it called Wainu Pichu, and it's got this staircase that's like built into the side of it that you can climb up, and it's, it's called the Staircase of Death, by the way, just so you know. So if you're thinking about climbing it, you better be physically fit, but it's massive, and when you see this, you see the ancient structures sitting there, these terraces into the side of the mountain. The stones are massive. They're as tall as this building by like 20 feet wide, by 20 feet deep. And you sit there and go, how in the world did ancient people put this here? The stones are cut and almost perfectly fitted. No grout, no mortar. It's incredible. The picture doesn't do it justice, right? So here we are, And Asaph tries to give us a picture of something that doesn't truly do it justice. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Think about that for a second. Try to grasp your head around what it would look like, like your mind's eye, what it would look like to see the God of the universe enter a courtroom presiding over the gods of this world. Now, He uses strong language because he's making a point, okay? We know from the entirety of Scripture, there is how many gods? One God, okay? We can address that on a different day and discuss the Trinity, but there is one God according to Scripture. So how is he presiding over the gods? Well, theologians have been arguing about this for over 2,000 years, so let me just break it down for you. Three main viewpoints. One is that he is presiding over the false gods and deities of the nations surrounding Israel, okay? I would argue, respectfully, that that would not be true because we know from the Old Testament, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Chronicles, we know that those false gods were nothing more than wood and stone and gold and things made by men that meant nothing. And so I would say that was probably the wrong 
interpretation of gods. The second one is probably more valid than the first, though I'm still not convinced, is that they believe there's some sort of angelic or heavenly influence. Perhaps there was angels over different nations that had wrongly judged, and they were demons. Maybe Satan's in the midst of this. They are referred to as the sons of God, after all, in different passages of Scripture. And so, as we get to the end of this passage, towards the end in 6, he calls them sons of the Most High. And so maybe that's a correlation. I would again question that because of God's indictment in verse 2. How long will you judge unjustly? Last I checked, it wasn't the demon's job to judge people. Sure, they led them into all sorts of depravity and wickedness and tormented them, but I don't see anywhere else in Scripture where demons judge people. And I think you'd be in agreement with that. And if you're not, please show me in Scripture where that is. Option three, which I would lean towards, and for the purpose of our conversation today, is that the gods referred to in verse one are humans that have been placed in places of authority in governments, whether presidents or kings, princes, officials, administrators, judges themselves, townships, governors, etc. You name it, from every nation, God walks into a courtroom and before him, sit some people that you might recognize and some people you might not recognize. Maybe President Biden is there, or Xi Jinping from China, which I probably said that wrong because it's a Chinese name and I'm not, I don't speak Chinese. Emmanuel Macron from France. And you've got all these other rulers across the world from every type of government that you can think of, whether it be a free republic a communist dictatorship, and everything in between. They're sitting there in the courtroom, not presiding over anyone themselves for the very first time, but they're sitting underneath the judgment of God Almighty as he walks in. And I imagine there would be a sense of terror in that scene as the God of the universe reveals to a group of proud, unjust people his glory. Small picture to a big, big reality. And so he paints that word picture, and then he begins quoting God's indictment to these men. Now this passage has the indictment, the instruction, which is how they're, so the indictment of their justice and their judging, the type of judging they should be doing, the explanation of the people they're to be judging, and who their position is at present, and then who they're subordinate to, okay? And we're going to work our way through that. So as we get going in this passage, <coughs> God presides over a divine council. What do you think of that? Does that blow your mind a little bit, trying to wrap your head around the God of the universe who, who presides over a divine council? And if you think that the God of the universe that presides over the divine council, and the reason it's called the divine council is because he appointed each of those people, to deliver and administer justice, and we'll get there later. Do you think he doesn't have the authority and ability to preside over you? Is yet my other question. You see, it would be a terrifying thing. I imagine I'd be somewhere near the back of that courtroom as having very little authority over anyone. I mean, for some, they're like, yeah, Cole's in charge of himself. Four little kids. You know, he's not in charge of much certainly no state or nation. But I would still, in a courtroom like that that's filled with the glory of God, 
in a judging setting, I think I would probably be a little, little bit terrified in that moment. And I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, we would be, because our perception of judgment always leads to punishment, does it not? It leads to justice, and justice punishes what is wicked, and it acquits that which is righteous, does it not? It punishes what's wicked, and it acquits what's considered righteous, or declared right, what is justified, okay? So let's go ahead and see how God's indictment starts. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Strong words. God starts out with a pop to the face, right? Just boom, in the mouth. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? He brings to light the fact that there is wickedness happening in the positions that he has placed people. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've had jobs before. You guys have jobs? Have a job with a boss, right? Anyone have a boss? Okay. I currently have been self-employed for about a decade. My boss is a jerk, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there. He makes me do stuff I don't want to do on days I don't want to do it. It's terrible, okay? And for some of you, you might be like, yeah, but it's not me. It's somebody else that does that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I relate. But before I was my own boss, I had a boss, and bosses give reviews, don't they? They let you know if you're doing well or if you're not doing well, right? I mean, can, can we, you know, that's pretty normal standard procedure. So you get your year-end review. Anyone get year-end reviews or used to get year-end reviews if you're retired? Yeah, of course you did. You get year-end reviews and this is the things you did great. And here's your, you know, how we say it now. These are your areas of improvement. That's code for you stink at that, okay? So in case you didn't know, that's what it is. And... God has appointed these rulers to administer justice to his people, and they're doing a terrible job. So bad, in fact, that this skipped the year-end review and went straight for the judgment seat. And so he continues, and he names out four things that we're going to see from verses 2 through 4 that are the jobs of the judges that he had given them that they weren't doing right. So what were the things? He says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So he gives them four action words. These are the things that a good judge should do. Someone who presides over a people. Someone who administers justice to do what is right and to turn away from what's wrong and to punish what is wrong. This is what they're to do. And his indictment statement is, how long will you judge unjustly? He's saying, you're doing a terrible job. And these are the leaders of our world. I bet you, you've never thought we had a leader in our world that was terrible. Anyone know? Uh, you know, if this last year wasn't a tell of where you fell in opinion, you know, some of you were very celebratory of our current president, and some of you were very not celebratory of our current president. Some of you were happy with our governor election a few years back, and some of you were not, and so on and so forth. As we go through all of our elected officials in our cultural context, right, because we're not in a communist dictatorship. We don't just get told. We actually get to throw a vote. But even as we throw a vote, God appoints these people. He appoints these people, and we do see the injustices among our leaders, do we not? We see things that happen that ought not happen. And so what he does is, on number one, 
he says, give justice to the weak. Now, how many of us love to see justice not be served, right? You just prefer justice not be served. Criminals, ah, just let them go, right? How many of you want your criminals living in your basement? Raise your hands. Nobody, right? You don't want a criminal living in your basement. That's a terrible idea. And so you want justice to be administered. God is deeply concerned with justice, and I think sometimes we get a wrong perspective of the God of the Bible, because many times as believers in Christ, or even as unbelievers, you might feel like there's almost like two different gods in the Bible, right? Because Jesus is God, and God the Father is God, and the God of the Old Testament seemed divinely entranced with this idea of justice, right? And this other God, and Jesus in the New Testament, he's all about grace and mercy and you know, love and kindness. And some of you, it even goes far as sunshine and rainbows and bunnies, right? So what's with the two gods, right? And we know there's one God and we have a hard time putting these things together in our mind because we love the grace of the New Testament. And we're really not a big fan of all this justice that we talk about, the judging. And that's why I want to bring to light today this idea that judgment is actually good. Because the grace of God and the judgment of God are not contradictory of each other. They're together. They're perfectly unified. God is not divided. So what we need to do is look at the character of God in this. And so one, he, he says this, give justice to the weak. Now, how many think a good judge, a righteous judge, would give justice to the weak? You think that's a good idea? Yes. Anyone in disagreement? Go away. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Justice being administered is something that we want, right? So one of the four things we could say that if that was the only one, that judgment is good, right? Because it gives justice to the weak. None of us are opposed to justice for the weak. So how can we say judgment is bad? We would say judgment is good. God's long been concerned about justice, And God not only did that in the Old Testament, but he also exemplified it in the New Testament as he sent his son Jesus to share the good news of how people could be justified. You understand that? Right judgment renders judgment correctly. There's a payment for every penalty. There's a payment for every wickedness. There is a penalty for our sin. And God judges rightly, but instead of being the judge that sits on the bench and has nothing to do with the solution, the God of the universe sends his son Jesus to die for our justification so the payment of the sin could be made. You know, you think that God might be different Old Testament to New Testament, and I'd encourage you to take a look at a couple of things. One, the justice or even social justice of men doesn't count in God's world. In Psalm 28, 5, it says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. You want to know the difference between a judge or one of these gods, if you will, that is going to administer justice rightly or not administer justice rightly, is this, whether they seek the Lord or not. The Lord makes it no more complicated than that. If your vote in America goes for someone who has no regard for the Lord, don't be surprised when they render no justice. Don't be surprised because God makes it clear they don't even know how. 
They don't know how. Because they don't understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. And if you think the God of the Old Testament is different than Jesus Christ, I'd like to correct your thinking in Hebrews 1.3. Jesus, where, where Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews writes, Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. Think about that. He is the exact imprint. If God is concerned with justice, Jesus, the justifier, was also concerned with justice. Number two on your list there is his job to guard the rights of the afflicted. <clears throat> so a good judge guards rights of the afflicted. It might say in verse three, halfway through, maintain the right. That means to guard. That's what that word means. And someone who guards, they are to do what? They're to place themselves between the, the, the target, if you will, or the oppressed and the one doling out the torment. Any of you guys ever see the movie, oh, what is it called? Air Force One. Thank you, Brandon. He was here in the first sermon. I didn't forget it then. Air Force One. Ever see that movie? You know, Harrison Ford is on a plane. How did his secret service do? They kind of all died, right? But they protected the president, did they not? He got away and then he himself administered justice because he's Harrison Ford, a.k.a. Indiana Jones, right? So, I mean, he went all indie on these terrorists. It was wonderful, right? It was made for a great movie. Okay, what's the point? His bodyguard did their job at the cost of their own life. A good judge will do likewise. The judge is the one who guards, not in the physical sense, but by administering the law and justice correctly, will guard and maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Now, how many of you think it's a bad thing to guard or to maintain the right of the weak and the destitute? It's not. And so I would submit to you on point number two, judgment is good. Judgment is good when it's done correctly. Number three, what's the job of a judge? To rescue the weak and the needy. Again, this should point us straight to Jesus, but we'll take a look at this context here. As they rescue the weak and the needy, for one, I don't think any of us would say that's a bad thing as well, but beyond that, as we point to Jesus, in Galatians 1, 3 through 5, talks about Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age. You see, the job of a judge needs to be administering justice in such a fashion that it rescues the person that has no power to rescue themselves. I think we can all agree that would be a pretty good thing, right? So judgment is yet again found to be good because it's intended for our deliverance, deliverance of the press, the weak, the needy. It's intended to save. Jesus came not to heal those who had no need, but to heal the sick. He came for those who were in need of deliverance, not only from their physical infirmities at the time, but of their spiritual infirmity of death and judgment. So question for you today, is judgment a bad thing? class? No. 
It's not. Judgment's not a bad thing. Judgment, when it's used properly, is intended for deliverance. Many times in our Christian walk, we judge others, don't we? But do we judge rightly is the question. I think the reason we think judgment is so bad, in part, is because we are not good judges ourselves. Are we? We very much take one perspective. We don't hear all sides, right? Scripture talks about this. The one who speaks first seems right until another comes against them. Proverbs. But we as humans, what do we want to do? Well, <clears throat> my friend said this, so it must be true because it's my friend, right? Because my friend is not a sinful human being. They, they couldn't be because they're my friend, right? It shows partiality. Partiality. What was God's indictment? How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Do you know that sometimes showing partiality to your own friends and family is showing partiality to the wicked? Did you know that? Did you know you're friends with wicked people? If you don't believe it, go look yourself in the mirror. Do you like you? Some days yes and some days no. But we take pretty good care of ourselves, don't we? Nobody pulled me out of bed this morning. Nobody put me in the shower and washed me. No one brushed my teeth. No one combed my hair. No one put clothes on me. No one's put deodorant on me. I did all of that. And aren't you blessed? <laughs> Whew! Man, praise the Lord, Cole, for not stinking, right? I take pretty good care of myself, but if I look in the mirror and look in, in, in myself in the eye and think clearly about who I am before a holy God, I am also wicked. God, in his just judgment, shows no partiality to the wicked. None. So just because Cole Albright wants something done a certain way doesn't mean he's going to get his way if it's not the right way in God's just world. And do we live in God's just world? No, we live in a very unjust world one that's marred with sin and torment and interpersonal problems, political strife, unrest, racial tensions. It's crazy. We live in a crazy world, don't we? And yet we are so quick to say, yes, God, judge the gods, right? Because we see these political folks and these world rulers and these judges and these township authorities and the Stinking inspectors of the city of Des Moines, Josh Raleigh. Gosh, and we see them as unjust. Yet if we look in the mirror, we're no different. We're no different. And so he guards our rights and he's there to rescue. That's the last thing the judge does. He rescues the weak and the needy, which also points us straight to Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Galatians 1.3. Did you know that? You see, the God of the universe was so concerned with justice being done correctly that he judged rightly. And in his judgment, he found that there was no one that could deliver people aside from himself. 
no one. And so he sends his son, Jesus Christ, who is God, to be what? To be the deliverer. And he delivered in what way? He gave himself, his own life, for our sins. For what purpose? To rescue us from this present evil age. God indicts the gods of this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the indictment. They couldn't measure up. Have you ever considered that? So the gospel of Jesus and the grace of God, which we love, is in perfect harmony with his judgment, which makes his judgment so good. So, is judgment good? So here's the question. If judgment isn't good, or if you're still uneasy about that, here's the question. Which side of the judgment will you fall? Which side of the judgment of God will you fall? Will you fall under the judgment of God that casts you away? Or will you fall under the justification of God, which is found in Jesus Christ? That's the question. Because where, whether or not judgment is good in your mind is entirely up to which side of that coin you're on. So let's talk about that because God goes on in verse, well, let's start with five. He says they have, so he talks about the status of us as not the authorities that he placed, but as people being governed by the authority he placed. Now, if you're in a place of governance, then this is a trickle-down effect, but you're ultimately, unless you lead a nation or even the world for that matter, you fall underneath a governance of some sort. Excuse me. And so he says to those that are under a governance of some sort, they have neither knowledge or understanding. Now, wait a minute, God. Are, we, are you calling us stupid? Eh, kind of. A little ignorant. They have neither knowledge or understanding. They walk about in darkness. That word darkness signifies intellectual ignorance and moral depravity right? Because when you're, in, when you're not intellectually aware of God's standard or flippantly not concerned, it leads to depravity. We walk about in darkness. We can't see. Jesus talked about it this way. He said, us, though seeing, they do not perceive, and hearing, they don't understand. You see, Jesus was well aware that he could speak the very words of God because he was God, is God, not just was, but he is God. He could speak words, people could hear him with their ears and not even have a clue because the Spirit had not revealed it to them. And then he goes on after saying they walk about in darkness, all the foundations of the earth are shaken. MacArthur put it this way, he said, when leaders rule unjustly, and this has to do with the foundation of the earth being shaken, right? Like we all know that the world is round and it's held in, the, you know, in space by gravity, and the Bible says it's by the power of his might that he holds all things together, okay? So where is this foundation? Well, the foundation is in God himself. And MacArthur said it this way, when leaders rule unjustly, the divinely established moral order that undergirds human existence is undermined. I'm going to read that for you one more time. Try to wrap your head around it. He's a a super smart guy. I didn't write that. He says, When leaders rule unjustly, the divinely established moral order 
that undergirds human existence is undermined. What he's saying is that God established an order, and when we ignore that order in depravity, the entirety of our human existence is undermined. Is it a wonder that sin is rampant everywhere you go? Is it not? It's everywhere. And so God continues his indictment, and he says to them directly, I said, you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. You see, God has the power to lift up leaders, and I want to share that with you a little bit, and he has the ability to put them down. I think many times we think we're victims of, you know, whatever leader is in place at the time. God placed them there. Did you know that? He placed them there. I want to flip over to Romans chapter 13 real quick. Sorry for the coughing today, guys. I've got a dust allergy. You can't catch it, I don't think. So if you can, that's interesting. So, Oh, boy. Romans 13. He says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. What? You mean... God put in place the governing authorities? Yes, he did. Did you know that you might have had a vote in this last election, but God established the leader? He picked the guy. No, God wouldn't pick that guy. God picked the last guy. Or maybe you're the other side. You're like, no, God did not pick the last guy. He picked, God picked both. Did you know that? God picked both. Because he is the one that establishes authority, whether we agree with his decision or not. And he's the one that judges those authorities based on the way that they govern. We don't actually have the authority to judge them. We're called to pray for them. What? I'm supposed to pray for Joe and for President Trump or ex-President Trump? Yeah, you're supposed to pray for both of them. He says this, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Oh, okay, so when you're resisting your authorities and slandering your authorities, guess what that means? That means you're resisting God and slandering the person he placed in authority. Those who resist will incur judgment. There's that word again. Oh, that's not exciting. Okay, judgment got bad again. Judgment got bad again. No, it didn't. He says this, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Have you ever thought of that? President Trump, President Biden, they're God's servant for your good. And the God of the universe put them in their place, regardless of your vote or your opinion of them. Did you know God doesn't need our, he doesn't need our opinion to pick leaders? I know, that's very un-American of me to say, so don't worry, I'll be leaving the country soon. You don't have to put up with it too long, okay? Because God has the authority that none of us have. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. God has the eternal extension cord, really. My kids, have you ever had your kids? Take a radio, plug it in, and turn it up to like a thousand. 
and you're so annoyed with it, you don't even go for the volume button. You just go yank the cord right out of the wall. You ever done that? I had to do it with a plumber this week, which was kind of like dealing with a child. I had a plumber over to my house working on something. Apparently, he thought that it was time to play, you know, his music. <laughs> I won't even tell you what it was. <laughs> but I was like, my, my kids don't need to hear Fat Bottom Girls. They just don't, okay? So we're going to go ahead. And I unplugged his radio. I was like, what are you doing? This is my house. Stop that. I have the authority in my house because my house, I can unplug his radio. God has the authority over the rulers of this world because he holds their very lives in his hands, just like he holds yours. And it is nothing for him to make a decision to end that. And he doesn't do it flippantly. He's not a mean, unjust God. But he is a God that judges rightly, with or without your permission, believer in Christ. So the question is, which side of the judgment do you fall you can see where Asaph falls. Verse 8, arise, O God, judge the earth. How many of you guys would be exclaiming that on your way into church? Man, I hope God just judges the earth today. That'd be awesome, right? How many of you are like walking in and be like, I'm ready to hear a sermon about God judging the earth, and I'm going to be excited about it. Outside of, I believe you, Nate. Nate's like, yep, that's me. I'm like, and I believe him. I wouldn't believe the rest of you, but I would definitely believe Nate. And you don't consider those things. I don't consider those things. But he exclaims in worship, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. You see, part of God's judgment is God's inheritance. And his inheritance is not necessarily the earth, as he states, but it is the people of the earth. God desires to inherit the people of the earth. He desires to have them as his own. But God didn't make robots, did he? He made people. He made people in his image with free will to choose him or to not choose him, to submit to him or to reject him of their own free will. And yet he is a good God that judges rightly despite it. And the question of whether or not judgment is good has entirely to do with which side of the judgment you'll be on. Will you be on the side where you've submitted to his son, his son, Jesus Christ, who came, lived a perfect life that we could never live, died an awful death. That was the propitiation for our sin. That word propitiation means wrath-removing sacrifice so that we could be justified on that day. We don't go into the courtroom like these world leaders who judged unrightly and God is judging them. We walk in with Jesus Christ and he says, I see your son, you are, or my son, you are pardoned. I see my son, you are pardoned. For those who have accepted Christ as their savior, who has recognized himself as a sinner before a holy God with no ability to escape the wrath that was coming outside of trusting his justification. If you're on the opposite side of that, woe to you. I was just reading in Isaiah this morning. It said, Woe to those who prefer justice and oppress the weak. God desires to save each of us from the wicked. This world is a wicked place. We ourselves are wicked people. I'm a wicked person. And outside of the grace of God, we have nothing. 
we will come and die and fall like any prince. Like any prince. How many kings of the world have ever escaped death in years past? Zero. Scripture says in Hebrews 9.27, For it is appointed once for man to die, and then the judgment. I won't make you look at your neighbor and say it this time, but did you know you're going to die? It's going to happen. It's appointed once for man to die, and then the judgment. And so the question is, where do you stand with God? That's it. Where do you stand with God? Have you chosen, have you seen Jesus for who he is, the justifier of your wickedness and accepted his free gift of salvation? Have you repented of your sins and trusted Jesus to save you? If you have, then you would, with Asaph, say, Arise, O Lord, judge the earth, for the nations are your inheritance. John said it this way at the end of Scripture in Revelation. Sorry, I got to flip there and read it. In Revelation 22.20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. That's Jesus talking. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. And John replies, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, it's not surprising that when God rises in judgment, His people are excited to see Him because He's a good judge. And judgment is good especially for those who know him. And so my question is, do you know him? And if you don't, I would encourage you today to repent of your sin, to recognize that outside of the hope that God gives us, we are hopeless on the day of judgment. But God, but God, he sent Jesus to save us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we are we are under the reality that judgment is bad for wicked people. And we, Lord, are wicked people, which is why judgment has always been bad. But for those of us who know you, judgment is so good because we don't stand on our own. <clears throat> Lord, you judge the gods of this world, but the gospel is above the gods of this world. The gospel is above us. The gospel is in perfect unity with your judgment. And so, Lord, may we in confidence say with John and say with Asaph, Arise, O Lord, judge the earth, because we are your inheritance. May that be true today in everyone's life, in this area, in your name, amen.